are you at the point now where you can sort of like go to bed with a question and have it come, have the answer come in your dreams? The thing about dreams is we're taught that this is all so complicated and woo woo, but dreaming is the most natural thing in the world that everybody does from when we're in the womb to our last night on earth. So this is accessible to everybody. So yes, you and I can do this. Hello there, it's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. This week we are talking sleep and dreams. In the process of preparing for this episode, I was introduced to the work of Nicholas Tinbergen. He's a scientist who developed four questions to help people categorize and understand animal behavior, including human behavior. The first question he asks in any behavior is, what is its function? And in the context of sleep, what's the function of that behavior is pretty clear. It's metabolism regulation, immune system boosting, brain organization, synaptic structures, even health of the nervous system and the bones and the muscles of the body. Basically, it's a reset for the entire system. It's necessary for the rest of our lives to function, from moods to optimization of how we live our lives. So the purpose of sleep is clear. But then you get into why do people dream? And the theories on why we dream are very vast. In ancient times, dreams were understood to be prophetic things. You would get instruction on how to behave in the post-dream life. There are also theories about the dream state being a time for trauma healing and a therapeutic environment for working out that which could not be worked out during the day. There are theories about the dream state being kind of like a computer defrag, like you're throwing out junk files and organizing your thoughts at night. And there are theories about the dream state being a defensive mechanism, which basically keeps the visual cortex busy so that it can't be poached or utilized by other functions while you sleep. All of that, though, seems very mechanistic. There's got to be more going on. Today, I'm talking with Sylvia Gover, and we were originally just going to talk about sleep because, you know, perimenopause, menopause, biological life cycles are up for so many of us. And of course, the digital life we're living impedes everyone's sleep. And she had so much more to offer that we went from just sleep into dreaming. And the episode has a lot more information on that. And because I had already booked a separate guest just on dreaming, Lori Lowenberg, there's also a bonus episode that is solo Lori, who's a magical unicorn kind of a woman talking about dream interpretation. So you'll get both of these episodes on sleep and dream, and they come from very different perspectives. This particular one is Sivia. She is the author of The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep, a certified dream work professional, and the education director for the Institute for Dream Studies. She holds an MFA from Columbia and is a certified proprioceptive writing instructor and Reiki master. And you can go ahead and look up those words because I had to look up those words. All right, here we go. A conversation on sleep and dreams with Sivia Gover. Well, we're here to talk today about sleep and dreams. And I'll tell you, in my community of women, there seem to be a lot of things that are keeping these ladies up at night. Perimenopause, menopause, money anxiety, worried about their children, prenatal, nursing, I don't know, just tons of stuff. How is America sleeping, Sivia? Well, even before the pandemic that we've all been experiencing, there was a, another pandemic, which was a sleep loss pandemic, a p- pandemic of sleep loss. Yeah, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention did call it that. Sleep issues, if you're having them, 
You might feel all alone in the middle of the night in your bed, lying awake, watching the clock, frantic, but you are not alone. You're in, unfortunately, very good company, and it has only gotten worse with recent events. Is there a standard definition for what good sleep is? Actually, there is not. I mean, the general guidelines are six to eight hours, seven to nine hours. I think the best thing is to notice how you're feeling. If you're feeling well rested and you get six good hours of sleep a night, you're not having a problem, right? Even if you're getting eight hours, but you're waking up exhausted, something's not quite right there. Yeah, I got that aura ring, the one that, and there are many things like it that monitor your sleep. And it also gives, it takes it beyond that just plain hours and adds in all of these other aspects of sleep. Like what are the different elements of the sleep? Every night we go through a sleep cycle and that includes very naturally light sleep, deep sleep. REM sleep, which is where most dreams take place. And we cycle through all night long. And we also come to several instances of almost waking up. And some we actually really do wake up. So if you're using one of those sleep tracking devices, you'll see that you have these mini awakenings that you might not even notice because in the normal course of affairs, you just fall right back asleep and you don't notice that you have that mini awakening. So the approach I take to sleep and dreams is what do we have control over? And I'm speaking holistically. I'm not a doctor. I don't use any medical interventions for sleep. I take an approach of, you know, they talk about sleep hygiene, which feels very sterile to me. You know, the practices we're supposed to do to have a good night's sleep. Sleep hygiene makes me feel like we're in a doctor's office and it's clinical and it's sterile. I like to think of Sleep huga, it's spelled similar to hygiene. It has that H-Y-G-G-E, but that's a word that means comfort and coziness. Mm. I try to make this mindful approach more like that. So we can't really control that much about those sleep stages you're talking about, except to create the best conditions we can for nourishing rest and sleep. Some of those are environmental, right? And some of them are in your own being. So what, what's the what's the balance? <laughs> some of them is not having a big hairy person next to you kicking you all night too. So yeah, you <laughs> I hear you on that one. So. so 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 yeah. What what lovers do we have in the natural realm? What I focus on is similar to if you were going to take up yoga or you were going to take up meditation. I think of approaching sleep like a practice, something that we hold gently, but sort of reverently. So for example, rather than feeling like if if you sit down on the meditation cushion and you're like, okay, this has to be 20 minutes of never having a thought interrupt my meditation, you're going to be kicking yourself and feeling pretty lousy. But if you think of it as I'm going to do the best I can for as long as I can, and I'm going to practice a little bit every day. So what we have under our control is to back into bedtime, to start this practice by thinking about where do I prioritize sleep and dreams? Do I prioritize them at all? Or is this just not even making it to the to-do list, right? It's not even on that long list of things to do. It's I just fall into bed at the end of the day, exhausted, and what happens, happens. 
I want you to take a more active approach to say, okay, I'm going to back it up. If I want to be in bed at 10 p.m., what do I have to be doing at 9 p.m.? And if I want to have a nourishing night's rest, what do I have to be doing before bed? So maybe it's a few yoga stretches. I recommend a few moments even in bed, if not before bed, of meditation. I call it meditation. And little things, talk about holistic. When we go to bed grateful, we have a better chance of sleeping and dreaming well. So I'm betting that a lot of your listeners already have some kind of a gratitude practice where you're listing and thinking about things you appreciate and are grateful for. So a real easy hack is to move that gratitude practice to nighttime. Do it before bed. Do it while you're lying in bed instead of counting sheep, the proverbial counting sheep. Count your blessings to fall asleep. Yeah, this idea of backing into it and preparing for a comfort sleep, a huge sleep, and inviting the night with a gratitude practice is another form of mindfulness, absolutely. I, I feel like so many people that I know in their default lives will just have dinner, run around doing errands, still be answering emails, watching TV. My son and his wife fall asleep in front of the television half the time. They, they work until 11 and then they unwind by trying to detox from what their own concerns are. And then pff, you find them there like the next morning. But that can't be good for you. And it doesn't work. You know, I have somebody who I talk about sleep with and try to work with him on his sleep. And he needs to be watching the TV to fall asleep. And there was a blackout and he lost power. And he literally was trying to find a hotel room because he felt he couldn't sleep without the TV. Well, it turns out he couldn't get a hotel room. He was stuck at home with no TV and he slept the best he's ever slept. So we need to unplug. We literally need to unplug. It's so interesting. We take care of the battery of our phones and our laptops better than we take care of our own internal battery in terms of recharging. So let, let's just go back to the sound thing. I want to make sure that I'm understanding right. It's not just television. Is it? Can, what about music while you sleep or white noise? Is it recommended to not have any of that stuff for a good sleep? No, not necessarily. So there are some things that activate your mind and, and mess with your circadian rhythm. So anything with a screen, if you can, a lot of people now have the blue light filters or the, um, the sleep filters. So that will minimize some of the negative effects of watching any kind of screen, TV or computer or phone before bed. But it's not only that, it's what you're doing on that screen. Is it making your brain active or is it quieting your brain down? So for most people listening to a relaxation tape in bed or a guided meditation, that's going to help them fall asleep and stay asleep. But playing games on your phone is probably not going to do that. Mm. I like these uh, bedtime affirmations where it's a very almost a sub-audible affirmation that is playing under some kind of a whitey noise musical track for about 45 minutes as a lead into bed. It seems to be working at some other level than the conscious mind. And my dreams are better when I do that. Okay, so we've got prepare yourself for sleep. We've got the environment of the of the space. We, we know not to watch television, but what should we be doing in our environment to prepare it? 
So most people know the basics. I'll go over them, but I'm, I suspect there's something more at work. So the basics are to sleep in a cool, dark, quiet environment. And we can help some of that along with, you know, eye shades or an eye mask or earplugs if you're, if you're in a noisy environment. I also tell people to sort of take a little inventory of what is around your bed, because what's within arm's reach of your bed is going to tell you a lot about what your position is towards sleep. If you really mean it, if you really mean it, when I get into bed, I really want to rest and go to sleep. So in other words, do you have work within arm's reach? Do you have your laptop or your phone in arm's reach? I mean, those things, or unfinished projects or notes, I mean, those things might indicate that really you're not creating an environment that's conducive to sleep and dreams. So those are some things to look at, but you have to look at your mental environment too. I suspect that part of this pandemic of sleep loss has to do with our fear of the dark. And I'm talking not just literally, but literally too. Some of us are literally afraid of darkness, but we are afraid of the mysterious, the unknown, letting go of control. And think about it. When we go to sleep, we close our eyes. We're unplugged and detached from all of our distractions from the day. And we're left with what might be unresolved and uncomfortable thoughts. And we're in the dark with them. So we have this fear of facing the unexpected. Am I going to go to sleep and have a nightmare? Am I going to go to sleep and have a pleasant dream? Am I going to lie in bed and worry about my kids or my finances? It's all the things we've been running from all day that are going to catch up with us. So part of this is making friends with what's inside of us, making friends with the mystery, the unknown, the uncomfortable, the unresolved. And how do we let that be? so that we can let go and go to sleep. Yeah, I think for some people, the nighttime is the only place where they actually get to look at the unresolved things in their lives. It's, it's If you're not processing it during the day, it's going to meet you at two in the morning. Is that in your experience also? That's absolutely true. And here's the problem. And then I really want to help with the solution. Part of the problem is at two in the morning and four in the morning, our brain chemistry has shifted. So we're very low, if not depleted, of mood-boosting neurochemicals such as serotonin. That's one that most people are familiar with. So we're stuck alone with our thoughts in the middle of the night without the help of these mood-boosting neurochemicals. So my first order of business when I talk to people about, you know, middle of the night insomnia is do not Think. It's a do not think zone. You need to take your attention out of your mind and your looping thoughts and get your attention somewhere else. Your feet is a good place. Your breath can be a good place. That's beautiful. I, my, my son has this 
character called Little Dopey. It's dopamine. He he just drew the dopamine molecule and then uses it as kind of a little dopey and little Sarah. That's the serotonin molecule. But like if little dopey and little Sarah aren't hanging out with you, you got no opportunity to uh, process things in a healthy way. So you're talking about really when you're noticing your thoughts are spinning, getting in and noticing your body, like a somatic awareness practice. So how does that work? I'm, uh, let's imagine you're laying there in bed and oh, you're just obsessed on the morning meeting that's coming or waking up for an early flight. How do you do it? There are many ways to do it and find one that works for you. For some people, it's numbers. So simply counting backwards by threes from 300. That's going to be just enough of a challenge for most of us to keep our mind keyed into something, but not enough to let our mind just wander off into everything we're trying to um, keep out of the bed. Another thing you can do is a very gentle and simple breath work routine. So some people call this square breath or four count breath. So you inhale for four, gently hold for four, release for four, hold empty for four and do a few cycles of that, and that could interrupt any racing thoughts. And then another, you mentioned the somatic practices to use as a meditation or meditation object, you know, some part of your body. So if you're feeling anxious and your heart is beating and pounding, you can watch the physical sensations as a detached observer. Don't attach a story to it. Just watch where is the sensation? Where are the edges of it, right? Really try to follow that pulsing energy to how far does it go? And as you start to notice it, just watch its movement. Is it always uncomfortable? Are there moments of rest within the pulsations? Just doing that can breathe enough air into the experience that it becomes floaty instead of anxious. Mm. I'm watching how I'm like breathing deeper, even listening to you. And I feel like, oh, so much better already. This is such a huge part of our life, this quality sleep and then how it impacts everything else. And and also such, for many people, an untapped resource and just improving their overall happiness and contentment. But I do sometimes feel like going through perimenopause and menopause that there are certain biological functions that make it more difficult. So what do you say to women who are in the throes of, as my great aunts used to call it, the change? So what I say, um, what I advise other people to do and what I do myself, it sort of works through all the life stages, which is we have to work with what we've got. So if I'm lying in bed and I'm going through a hot flash or because of my hormones, I'm waking up at four in the morning and I'm up for a long time. I want to find the gift in that instead of the drudgery or the fear or the anxiety. So if I'm up in the middle of the night because I've been woken up by a hot flash or something else, can I see this as a time to connect with my heart, to connect with love, to enjoy, to see it as a gift like, what, why was my body designed this way? Maybe this is somehow for my own benefit. Can I take this as a time to meditate? Can I take this as a time to give myself a foot massage, a hand massage, 
you know, and then return to bed. So whatever it is, find the power in it, find the gift in it and go with that. And, you know, if you are losing sleep and I know it's serious and it's exhausting and it can fray our last nerve during the day, where can you rest? I get it. You're busy. But can you find 10 minutes to listen to a yoga nidra recording? You know, yoga nidra is that conscious sleep practice that just involves focusing on different parts of the body one at a time. It's very beautiful practice. And you can find a yoga nidra, N-I-D-R-A recording on YouTube or anywhere else. And they say, and I've experienced that 10 or 20 minutes of listening to one of those recordings can restore most of what you've lost in the night's sleep, right? The night of sleeplessness. So use what you've got. Ask your dreams for support. You can ask your dreams for what does my body need right now while I'm going through menopause to achieve deep rest. And I teach dream classes. And right now in one of my year-long classes, I happen to have, by coincidence, a lot of new moms. And one of the moms said to me recently, because she can't sleep more than an hour a night because of her baby waking up, she said, and I love this, she said, it's a miracle somehow my dreams find me. So somehow in one of those hours where she gets to sleep, she connects to her dreams. So be creative, be open to finding that gift in the mess and see what you come up with. Just coming off of last night's sleep, where I was so ready to hit the hit it and be out cold. And my partner was anxious and awake all night, which meant that I was also awake all night. Uh, I just wonder if we might also put in a little suggestion for how to, how to co-sleep. Absolutely. You know, that really is a challenge. I have, my husband won't appreciate me saying this, but I have certainly spent many nights awake listening to him snore. <laughs> so all that would so I know what a, what a challenge this can be. So there's so much that you can do here. You can make sleep a joint venture. You know, you can talk to each other, read my book or another book about sleep and dreams together and sort of work on this together. So you're backing into bedtime together. You're figuring out ways to put your anxieties to bed, you know, together or that you're each doing your practice. White noise machines are also really helpful. You'd asked about that at one time. And I know that I and a lot of people I work with um, use white noise machines to help with things like snoring or other restless noises in the night, whether you're sleeping with somebody or you're sleeping in a city or whatever it might be. I love what you were saying about being a team, right? Because that, that adds to your nightly intimacy practice. So we do, we advocate for a nightly appreciation practice where you're reflecting to one another what you liked about them that day, what you noticed in their behavior and appreciate it. And you could add this too, like let's do a little sleep clearing. What can we put by the way? Let, you know, when, or, or even I'm reminded of those intimacy bubbles in the Tantra practice where for those of you who haven't heard about the intimacy bubble, when you sit down and you want to talk about something serious, you say, I, I'm taking out of this bubble all the things that are distracting me from being focused. And I'm bringing into this bubble love and kindness and humor and you're stating your boundaries and all that stuff. You could theoretically do like a sleep bubble 
you know, like, hey, my my friend I'm sleeping with, um, let's take out all of our the things that we don't want to bring into our nighttime container together. It's like it's a sweet idea. Well, speaking of containers, one thing that I love is to have, you know, some form of a God box or a let it go box where you write down your worries on a little piece of paper and you put it in the box and let God or the universe take care of them while you sleep or sleep fairies, however you want to imagine it. And you could certainly have a family God box or sleep box where you each put your worries in on a little piece of paper and tuck them in for the night. Um, Guatemalan worry dolls are lovely for that too. And one thing in terms of snoring, which is really hard, and there are a lot of things that you can check out to help mitigate snoring. But when you do find yourself awake listening to somebody snore, you can do a few different things. You can use the snoring as a meditation object to, to start watch, watch your emotions, watch you know what you attach to that noise and observe it as a distant witness and even try to have gratitude like oh that is the sound of my beloved sleeping you know that is the sound of love being alive and full of breath <laughs> you're a saint <laughs> no, i'm not a saint you're a saint okay <laughs> oh yeah you know i have my best friend is um i room with him a lot when i we travel on tours and stuff and Man, I just I just had to be a hard no because you'd be deep in a dream state, and then there would be one of those like really big noisy ones. You <gasps> shock awake, and and earplugs don't help. And yeah, that's when separate rooms are great. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we've got this. We've we've done these things, and now I've dropped in, and I'm allowing the mystery, and now the dreams begin to come. So I don't know about all y'all out there listening, but. My dreams are like another universe that I've traveled to. And they are so good that sometimes when the liminal time comes in the morning, I don't even want the dream to end. I have to go back to sleep and finish the dream. What is going on? What is the latest in dream theory? Why do we dream? What's happening there? Well, there's a lot we know and there's a lot we don't know. So what we do know and Really, the most simple way to explain it is that dreaming is thinking with a different neurochemical stew, right? So we have different neurochemical reactions happening when we're dreaming as opposed to when we're thinking awake. They're both forms of thinking. They're forms of mentation, our waking thoughts and our dreams. But in the dreaming brain, and if you think it through, you'll, you can figure this out yourself, what's highly activated? Well, our physical eyes are closed, but our secondary visual cortex is wide awake. So we dream in vivid imagery. We dream in colors. People think black and white, but no. And Christine, if you're having vivid dreams, you know that you're dreaming in color and often luminous colors beyond what you see during the day. Our amygdala is highly activated, the part of the brain that processes fight or flight, you know, intense emotion, that's highly activated. Random association, the part of our brain that handles random association so that we're putting together different thoughts than we would awake, or even different people and images and places from our life. So my grandma who passed on 30 years ago is in the kitchen of my current house with a friend of mine who lives in California. You know, all these random things come together in the dream. So why does all this happen? 
Well, part of it is problem solving. Many human inventions, and some even theorize that the invention of language and writing came in dreams. But we certainly know that a lot of inventions, including Google, um, was sort of downloaded to Larry Page in a dream. So it is to help us problem solve, to dream new dreams, to think up things that have never been thought before, because we can take advantage of this very different way of thinking boosted by these different neurochemical agents. Why is it that some people remember them and some people don't? So there are psychological and uh, physiological reasons for that. So psychologically, some of us have what are called thin boundaries, and some of us have what are called thick boundaries. So thin boundary people, and I'm guessing the majority of people in your audience have thin boundaries, tend to be creative people, tend to be people who remember more dreams, who are attracted to art, sort of the so-called right brain activities. They also tend to be very emotional, maybe tend a little more towards depression. So people like that are more apt to remember their dreams. But also there's a lot of physiological stuff going on in terms of are you waking up with an alarm or not? Things that just affect our day-to-day life affect our dreaming. If you're on certain medications, that's going to affect your ability to recall dreams. But I will say something that's really interesting to take note of and something where we all do have a lot of control with dream recall is taking an interest in dreams. Because cultures where dreams are valued, people tend to remember more dreams. So it's very possible to remember your dreams. And one way to do that is to show your subconscious mind that you're interested by simple things, putting a pen and paper next to your bed so you're prepared to write down a dream if you have one. Or doing what we're doing right now, just talk about dreams in your life. Ask people in your life, what did they dream? And take an interest in your own dreams. So it can be cultivated. Just like, uh, I remember uh, my a friend of mine was doing that Carlos Castaneda dreaming. The, um, the lucid dreaming. The lucid dreaming, thank you very much. And was really trying to do it. And he would say, would you practice with me? And let's set a place where we can, let's, I'll meet you in my dreams. And we decide before we went to bed and we try to go there. And it worked a couple of times, but still, seemed like a lot of effort for the, for, the, for the payback. Well, again, it's a practice. So if you practice, it becomes easier and more natural. So yes, there is this efforting at the beginning. So even for dream recall, one thing folks should know so they don't get too frustrated is that when you're in REM sleep and dreaming, your short-term memory is tamped down. And that's one reason, you know, that we have an obstacle to remember our dreams. But what I like to stress is how much agency we have. So as I said at the beginning, I like to think of sleep and dream as a practice. Like with meditation, it does tend to get easier as you practice it. Then it sometimes gets harder again, but you keep at it. You keep practicing. So if you want to remember your dreams practice remembering your dreams. Pick one or two things to do, like putting that notebook and pen by your bed and recording your dreams in the morning Mm -hmm. or talking more or reading more about dreams. And little by little, that will become effortless. And then you can start working on things like lucid dreams 
or dream incubation where you make a request to your dream before bed. Ooh, tell me more about that. Like, like, do you, are you at the point now where you can sort of like go to bed with a question and have it come, have the answer come in your dreams? Yes. And so are you. See, the thing about dreams is we're taught that this is all so complicated and woo woo, but dreaming is the most natural thing in the world that everybody does from when we're in the womb to our last night on earth. So this is accessible to everybody. So yes, you and I can do this. And it might take a few tries and sometimes it takes me a few tries. And what you do is before bed, think about an issue and it works best if this is something you're emotionally connected to. So if you're just playing around as I sometimes do, like today, let me dream about a blue sweater right? That's going to be harder to achieve than tonight in my dreams. Show me what I need to improve my relationship with my spouse. Something that's really in your heart. So think about it, maybe journal about it before bed, and then write the question clearly in your journal or on a slip of paper before you go to bed. Think about it about two or three times repeated as you're falling asleep. You don't need to obsess on it. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, repeat your intention. And in the morning, write down whatever dreams you have, even if it seems like it doesn't relate to your intention at all. It's really important to keep this contract with your subconscious strong. So if you've asked for a dream and you get a dream, don't say, hey, that's not what I asked for. You're not making a good relationship with your subconscious mind that way. Take the dream, say thank you, let me consider this, and really stay wide open because the answer might not come in the exact way you expect it. Do you do dream interpretation with people? Yes, I do one-on-one sessions with people, yeah. I heard once that you're everybody in your dream. Is that true? Yes, that, so that's a, a Jungian concept, Carl Jung. Uh that we are everything in our dream. Everything and everyone represents an aspect of ourself. And that is a great um, shortcut for people who want to start understanding their dreams. Let's say I have a dream that I'm arguing with my best friend. And my best friend is creative and artsy and smart and kind, right? I might ask myself in the morning, is there a part of me that's also creative and artsy and smart and kind that I'm in conflict with, inner conflict. Dreams are helping us with our soul's journey, what's happening inside, first and foremost. Mm. So by bringing the dream inside like that, what part of me am I arguing with? If I'm dreaming that I'm getting attacked or chased by a pursuer, right? What part of me is chasing me down or might not be that direct a correlation. It might be what in my life am I feeling chased down by or pursued by. So taking that little turn, that little uh, shift in perspective will help you open up the dream. One thing that people are not always aware of is that dreams can be both a impediment to sleep or an enticement to good sleep. So if you're not sleeping well, Check out whether you might possibly be having nightmares, especially if you've experienced trauma in your life. 
um, you might be avoiding sleep subconsciously or consciously because you're afraid of having scary dreams. And in that case, it's really worth doing some dream work to learn how to work with and even befriend those nightmares and uncomfortable dreams. And then on the other side of that is one of your incentives for getting a good night's sleep can be to welcome your dreams, which are a real wellspring and font of guidance, wisdom, and healing. So if you need an incentive to back into bedtime and leave yourself enough time to sleep and dream, our longest REM cycle comes in the early morning. It's around 6 or 7 a.m. for most of us. And that can last 45 minutes or an hour. So you want to make sure that you're building in enough time to sleep and dream. And once you start to work with those dreams and see how they're guiding and helping you, that can become your motivation for getting a good night's sleep. Do you believe in any herbal supplements? Or do you think we just want to avoid that altogether? No, there are some herbal supplements that are healthy and harmless and helpful. I know a lot of people get a lot of help from melatonin. I mean, I am so potion-free in terms of this. I really do try to go all natural. But some things like a cup of chamomile tea before bed, I think I'm not, I'm not the best potion person because I really do like to sleep and dream naturally. But as long as something is healthy and safe, then yeah, go for it. I've been looking at a lot of nervines, um, everything from you know valerian, chamomile, uh, lavender, all of these kind of things that calm you down. And I am also very wary of putting more external solutions into the body on a regular basis. Like once in a while, it's a, it seems to be a good thing. What about CBD? See, I don't have any luck with stuff like that personally, although a lot of my clients do. A lot of my clients swear by CBD. I would still like to see more research and so on. But I just love that we have this, you know, I love how you start to put it free, fun, and legal and safe way to sleep and dream well, which is just by using things like meditation, intention, you know, a lavender eye pillow is lovely. I do use lavender near my bed and um, sometimes some rose can help with dreams. But you know, when your audience is women, and one thing that really touches my heart and breaks my heart a little bit is how often women come to me, they're having very powerful dreams, very potent dreams, and they doubt them and they doubt themselves. I think a lot of us have been told by maybe not so much your listeners, but people have been told by different religious authorities that dreams are dangerous, that dreams are consorting with the devil or something like that. What? Yeah. A lot of religions counsel people against dreams because it's a, it's a direct connection with the divine we can bypass priests and authorities, outside authorities. So I think there is something uniquely feminine and divine about dreaming. And I really do love to empower women to look to their dreams. We're so focused on asking other people, you know, to be our expert, to be our, you know, and we have it inside. I had no idea about that, that religions didn't want women to dream or whatever. I think because I travel internationally or used to, um, talking about dreams, I would hear from a lot of women where they've been told that dreams are dangerous and bad, and that if you have certain dreams that you are bad or evil. 
But it's right there in the Judeo-Christian Bible, too. There are several places where they speak against dreams because people used to use dreams for prophecy, and that was considered ungodlike. Come on. This is the good stuff. I mean, I'm really happy to hear about, you know, like putting the white noise machine, but talk to me about prophecy and how just getting in touch with your own like open pineal gland to divinity is like a no. Think about it. Women so often have been separated from our own wisdom, our own ways of knowing. And dreams are a direct connection with the divine. And so there have certainly been institutions who have something at stake from keeping us separate from that. You know, think about feminine qualities like intuition, right? That is something, and creativity. These are things that are direct connections to dreams and dreaming. Dream work helps us heighten our intuition and deepen it. All right, well, that is another reason to it. It's not just your mental flossing. It's your access to the deeper messages which are trying to come through you. This is spirit work. This is soul work. (sighs) We have so many access points. Basically, what I hear you saying is, you know, we talk a lot about sexuality. That's also a lot of religious prohibitions against that. We talk about the power of the menstrual time, a lot of religious prohibitions against that. Um, Similarly, the period right at childbirth gets medicalized, removed from women. It's one of the nine kinds of orgasm, a very powerful portal time, also sort of stripped of its power. So, And death. And death also. You know, anytime that you're getting this visceral direct opening in the portal, it sounds like there is a proscription against it. It's too scary to have you be the conduit that you are by your birthright. Just by being in a body, you are a conduit for soul to come into life. And that doesn't change as you age. I was, have you, have you been around a newborn lately? Not lately, sadly. Although we've got one on the way in our family. Oh, congratulations. Yesterday, there was a woman with a baby a little under three months old. Um, and we were passing him around as, as the nanas do. And, uh, oh my gosh, so fresh. Like still in that like, woo, what is the happening phase? And and children up to like what two are in the in that really magical close portal. Basically until like the part of the brain that stores verbal memory comes online. And then it sort of seems to structurally override that. And there there are some inquiry into the cultivation of that open portal that bypasses the verbal storage mechanism, that most things that come to you as uh, extrasensory perception, speaking to the animals, speaking to the plants, all of that stuff comes through images. Uh, Is it the same in dreams? Images, the language of dreams, and dreams, remember, start in utero. Babies in utero are dreaming. So also the dream loss, you know, the beginning of us forgetting our dreams and detaching from them come with the birth of written language and the, um, and the widespread use of written language. There's a lot of connections. I do a lot of teaching about dreams and writing. The connections between dreams and literacy and writing are really complicated. 
we've been separated from that right brain, intuitive, creative, Im- imaginal, you know, those living images from literacy, which has also brought us so many gifts. I'm a writer and a poet. I love imagery, but it has changed our storytelling. You know, dreams are the the initial storyteller, the natural, the archetypal storyteller, the first narratives are dreams. And we've transformed that into the written word, which is a step removed even from verbalizing, you know, where there's body and breath involved in telling a story, as opposed to writing, where I can write something on a piece of paper and it can be totally separate from my body and live without anybody's body for a long time until it gets picked up by someone else, right? So we lose something when we become literate. We gain a lot, but we lose a lot. And what we lose is what you're talking about, those connections to intuition, to direct experience of nature. I'm going to go outside and walk in the trees and go ahead and have a direct experience of nature right now. And also tonight, I'm going to throw out my anxieties and put them in the little box of my partner and uh, think of you and see if there's a a way that we can open up the portals to what wants to be born. That's beautiful. I love that, Christine. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. I've enjoyed just from once I got this invitation, I listened to some of your podcasts and looked at your website and saw all the beautiful things you're doing. So I'm real happy. Thank you for saying that. All right. Everyone out there, let your dreams serve your life. Prepare yourself for a good sleep. Tap into this free, divinely appointed resource. You don't need a pill for that. You just need maybe a little journal, maybe a little God box and intention. So you've got some, um, there's a great video of you giving a talk at Chautauqua uh, Library. And there's some other audio things if people want to come and learn from your site. Talk to me about this book you've written. So my book is The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep. And this book is packed with tips, journaling prompts, and dream work techniques in real simple bite-sized chunks so that it's easy for you to just sort of dip in and get some inspiration and new perspective. I mean, that's really what I hope people will get from my books and my classes and my one-on-one sessions is that shift in perspective. So we're not looking at sleep as a problem, but we're looking at it as a very special, very rich part of our day. And so that's what the book's all about. It's got inspirational quotes. It's got little how-tos and step-by-step instructions and brief sort of poetically written essays that I hope get people in the mood for a gentle and loving night of rest. My parents had a folk album by Joan Baez, and it was, you know, right after the Vietnam War, and there was a song on that album called Last Night I Had the Strangest Dream. It turns out that was written by Ed McCurdy in 1950, right after World War II, and Pete Seeger covered it, and many people have covered it. You might know it. It goes... Last night I had the strangest dream I've never had before. I dreamt the world had all agreed to put an end to war. And 
you know, it's goes on to tell like the story of like people who just finally agreed and papers were signed and there was a party in the streets and all that kind of stuff. And just reminds me that there is more to dreaming than the sleeping dreams that we have the opportunity to come up with a collective dream. We don't want this war anymore. We want this thing and that we can envision it and that visioning something that isn't in our current material reality and working toward it is a kind of dreaming we didn't talk about. But today I want to just put my heart and prayer out there for the people who are sitting in their homes anywhere on earth and minding their own business and some geopolitical actor decides that their greed and their need is more important than other people's lives and that it's important in some way to drop a bomb because they want that land. And it's just impossible to understand when you are coming from a place of love. So my heart is with all the families and the people who love those people in the Ukraine and for the soldiers who are hurting them under some direction from a nation state. And I bring a wish for total peace. If you're interested in supporting Ukrainian refugee relief, there's a link in the show notes for that. May we dream of something beautiful. May we dream a new world into being that does not include intraspecies violence. If you personally want to learn about your own dreams and your own processes and how to do those better, or take part in some dream and writing workshop, please go find Sivia, our guest today, at siviagover.com, also link in the show notes. And if you want to come and talk to me, please come and find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman. May we all dream more beautiful worlds into being together. Mm-hmm.